you got to wonder about a, a preacher that, that when he comes to a home congregation where his parents attend and his parents don't show up, you know, that's pretty bad, right? They're always making excuses. Uh, something about a sojourn. Do they, do they ever tell you all that? Same old, same old. I don't know to believe them or not. Uh, no, I think they're going to be gone for about a month or six weeks, and so uh, we miss them. But this, this is home. You know, we've been all over the place, and we've, been, we've lived different places, been a part of different churches. Uh, and so we're all one big family, uh, the Lord's family. Uh, and everywhere we go, you know, we're a part of that congregation, a part of that church and that family. Uh, and we just recently came uh, back to Tanner after being gone from uh, there for about 10 years. We were there a long time ago and served there for several years. And then we've been at a couple other congregations. They asked us to come back, and so we feel like we're at home there. But this definitely feels like home. And uh, things have changed so much over the years here at Tanner that I feel like I need to say who I am. Of course, Larry and Kay's youngest, and I put emphasis on youngest, and better son, okay? Scott is the other one. He's the black sheep. I don't know if y'all know Scott, but maybe this, I think this is being recorded so he can actually see this for himself. <laughs> the bald sheep, you said it. <laughs> oh, me. And then, um, let's see, we lived in Decatur for a while. We went to Grant Street. Dad was associate minister there for some time. And uh, Mama and Papa, uh, Wallace and Lena Little, uh, helped begin this congregation uh, a number of years ago, and I can remember as a kid visiting here with them. Uh, good memories of doing that in the old facility, and before that was added on to and everything, and I can remember that. Uh, I can mem remember Brother uh, Jeff Jenkins being there a number of years ago, and I uh, thought a lot of him. And then uh, we moved out here when I was about, I guess, nine uh, but we didn't start attending here. We continued to go to, to Grant, Street, uh, Grant Street for a time. And then I guess when, uh, as an early teen is when we began to attend here. And as a, uh, as a teenager, and then I kind of went my own way and did my own thing, unfortunately, for a while. I had to find the Lord myself and uh, obeyed the gospel and then started coming with my family uh, as a young family here before we moved off. But we, we've been gone now for over 20 years. And so it's been a little while. Time flies by when you're having fun, right? All right. Well, it's good to be able to be with you tonight. I want to talk about some things that I hope are, are beneficial and some things that I think will probably really hit home uh, talking to the Lord's Church. Uh, and I want to read a couple of things to kind of get the ball rolling here. And I want us to think about how sometimes... Uh, we get the cart before the horse, I think, uh, the carriage before the horse, sometimes we call it like that, or uh, we get the end and the means to an end kind of mixed up, and we kind of major on minors, minor on majors, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so just to kind of tell you what I'm talking about, and, and, and so we can get in that frame of mind, here's some examples of that, humorous examples. Now listen to me, and listen to what I'm reading. Example number one. As of tomorrow, employees will be able to access the building only by using individual security cards. Pictures will be taken next Wednesday, and employees will receive their cards in two weeks. That go over y'all's head? 
How are they going to get in the building for two weeks, right? All right. Uh, no common sense whatsoever. All right, example number two. <laughs> I like this one. We know that communication is a problem, uh, but the company is not willing to discuss it with its employees. <laughs> have you ever worked anywhere like that? Unfortunately, a lot of us have. And then example number three. This project is so important that we can't let things that are more important interfere with it. <laughs> All right, so, so y'all understand what I'm talking about now, right? Uh, how we sometimes can uh, see that in the world, you know, and we can see that that makes common sense, and uh, we kind of laugh at those things, and they're humorous and everything, but when it comes to matters of the church a lot of times, we can't see things that are so very obvious that are right there in front of our face. And so we're going to look at an example tonight in Luke chapter 7 of a man by the name of Simon. And there's not a whole lot that we know about Simon. We know that Simon is a Pharisee. And we do know about the Pharisees of that time. Pharisees were very Pharisaic. <laughs> they were, you know, highbrow. Uh, they were better than everybody else. They looked down their nose at everybody else. They made a lot of rules and regulations. Uh, the Pharisees were known for being the very religious elite people, if you will, and very condemning towards everybody else. And, and yet the Pharisees were were also looked up to, in a sense, because of their righteousness, or at least their righteous appearance and everything. But you will recall in Matthew chapter 23, you have an entire chapter of woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Seven different times throughout that chapter. The entire chapter is about that. And something to think about as we go through this lesson that I want us to think about is that Jesus says more things in a derogatory way and, and, and by way of correction towards his people, God's people, and the Lord's church than he does anybody else. And that's something to think about. And so Pharisees were very uppity. Matthew 23, in verse uh, 4, I believe, it talks about how they put heavy burdens on people that were very hard or, or impossible to bear, talking about all of their rules and the regulations that they put on people. Later on in that chapter in verse 15, it talks about how they would go over land and sea to win one proselyte to the Lord, and when they do, that they would make him twice the son of hell as them themselves. In other words, they're going to put all of these burdens and all of these rules and regulations on them, so much so that, that they're going to be worse than them. And so that's how the Pharisees were. Now Simon, we don't know Simon. It doesn't really say anything about Simon, but Simon was a Pharisee, so more than likely he's like this. And Simon is inviting Jesus to a dinner party. Now we're from the south, so we would say supper. Right. He's invited him to supper. And we don't know the reason why. We're not given that. Uh, it might have been because Jesus was a great rabbi like nobody else had ever seen. He taught like no one else. And so it might have been that he wanted him to come and teach there at his house. I very seriously doubt it since the Pharisees pretty much disagreed with almost everything that Jesus did. Uh, mainly because he condemned them for a lot of stuff. It might have been that he was inviting him over uh, to work a miracle 
or a healing or something of that nature because he worked all kinds of signs and miracles and healed people. So maybe just maybe uh, he was having them over for that. But once again, I kind of doubt that also. This is my opinion. More than likely, Simon wanted to have Jesus to his house because, after all, he is a Pharisee. And so he is wailing up here, and he's got that social status up here. More than likely, he wanted to have Jesus over to be known as the man who had Jesus over to his house, this great teacher, this great rabbi. But whatever the reason is, we're not told, okay, we can speculate all day long, but whatever the reason is, that went south very quickly, if you remember this account, because this woman shows up on the scene. And this woman is just simply described there in the scriptures as a sinful woman. Now, the original language and, and different scholars would tell you that without a doubt, this sinful woman is called a sinful woman because she's a harlot. She's a streetwalker. She's a prostitute. And so anyway, this sinful woman shows up. Now, she has no business being there. She's not invited. She's not wanted. And people of that status, people that were like that, had no business being around religious people. They weren't wanted at all. And so one of the things that, that I respect about this woman and that I, that I love about this woman is that she doesn't care about social etiquette. She completely disregards social etiquette altogether. She doesn't care that she's supposed to be in the shadows and that nobody wants her around and people look down their nose at her. She doesn't care because she's heard about Jesus and she wants to see Jesus. And so she comes into this, this dinner party, if you will, and she falls down at the feet of Jesus and begins to wash his feet. Now, that's not uncommon in that day. Everybody knows that because of the roads being dirty, people wearing sandals. That was something that was customary of that time, that if you, if you were hosting something, then the polite thing to do customarily was to wash the feet of your guest. Most of the time, it was not the person that was actually the host. It would be usually a servant of some kind, somebody a little bit lower, sometimes even children, They'd have children do this as well, but certainly not somebody that did not belong there. This woman was not a part of this household. She had not even been invited there. She was not wanted there at all, and here she is washing his feet. Something else is that most of the time when someone washed their guest's feet, they would use like a basin of water and a towel to do so. But you know that this woman came down to, and fell at Jesus' feet and began to just weep all over him. I can't even imagine, I mean, the spectacle this would have been. So she is crying. She is beside herself, weeping all over his feet and washing his feet with her tears and with the hair on her head. Now, can you put yourself there? Now... <laughs> Imagine what people are thinking. Now, it says what Simon is thinking. Simon, this Pharisee, is thinking to himself, now, if this rabbi was truly a prophet, then he would know what kind of sinful woman this is that, that is actually touching him. You know, that's despicable. He would know that. 
And so that's what he's thinking. It doesn't reveal what anybody else is thinking. Nobody asks a question, but they're all thinking, I'm sure, pretty much the same thing. And I'm sure that the question is, that everybody's wondering is, what is Jesus going to do about this? What is this great rabbi going to do? How is he going to handle this situation? Is he going to respond to this lady? Is he going to say something to her? Is he, going to, is he going to criticize her? Is he going to correct her? Is he going to say something to Simon? Is he going to maybe escort her out because this was completely uncalled for? What exactly is Jesus going to do? So look in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to begin at verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. Now just imagine all of this going on. I'm sure that you could probably hear a pin drop in the room. And I know it's a stereotype, but religious people can be kind of stuffy. Did y'all know that? Yeah, we can be kind of stuffy. And so I can just imagine Simon and all these Pharisees and how how uppity they are and how stuffy it is in that room. And here this woman is and she's just completely ruined this party. And everybody is just beside themselves. They don't even know what to say, probably nothing, nothing at all. And so Jesus says, hey, I've got something to say. And Simon says, say it. <laughs> By all means, say something, Right? I mean, everybody's focus is on what's going on, this sinful woman at the feet of Jesus. And so let's change the focal point, please. Okay? Simon, say it. Teacher, he says, teacher, say it. Verse 41 says, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii. Now, I know you all have studied this before. 500 denarii, scholars say that for most common wages was somewhere around eight years worth of debt. That's a lot of debt. And then it says, and the other owed 50. And so most scholars say that's somewhere maybe around 10 months worth of debt for someone that, that had a common wage of, the, of that day. And so verse 42, it says, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. And so here's the question. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Now, just completely disregard the amounts because that's irrelevant. It really doesn't matter how much they owe because... They can't pay, right? Neither one of them can pay, so that is completely beside the point. And so here's a debt that they can't pay, and whoever they owe just says, forgiven. You don't have to pay it at all. Could you imagine that? Has anybody ever had any credit card debt or anything that you'd admit? <laughs> you've probably had, you've had debt of some kind. Could you imagine just the creditor saying, Hey, don't worry about it. And so the, the guy just says, okay, forget about it. You don't owe anything. And so the question is very obvious. The question is, well, who is going to love him the most? 
And the answer, I think, is very obvious. And Simon obviously got it right. He says, the one that has been forgiven the most. And now think about what that sounded like to that woman. That was hope for that woman, right? Not so much for Simon, if you know what I mean. Okay, let's continue to read. Verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? He says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. He says, You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But whom, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this that could even forgive sins? So here is this sinful woman that obviously does not know her place, she belongs in the shadows. She has no business being there at this dinner party around all of these religious people. And yet this woman has shown more hospitality and more love towards Jesus than all of these religious people. Think about that. Here are these people that, that say, I love God. You know, I love the Lord. And they're religious people. Look, look at me and look at what all I've done. Look how close I am to God. And yet none of them has done anything for Jesus. I mean, it was just customary in that day that you did this to anybody. If they came in your house and you were hosting something, you would wash their feet. They hadn't done that. They haven't given him anything to drink. They haven't washed his feet. They haven't done anything. And here's this woman that is despicable that nobody wants there at this party. And she's shown more hospitality and more love than anybody else. Now that's amazing to me when you think about that. And so I love, I love this question that Jesus asked. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? <laughs> Well, think about that. Now, Simon's probably thinking what we would be thinking in a, in a physical sense. I mean, are you kidding me, Lord? Are you kidding me? That's all anybody can see. I've planned this nice dinner party, and here this woman that was uninvited and just despicable, this sinful woman, she's come in, and now look at what she's done. This is, yeah, I see her. Everybody sees her. That's all we can see. But you see, what, what Simon is looking at and what Jesus is looking at is two completely different things. You see, Simon sees a very, very sinful woman. Jesus sees someone who has reformed. Simon sees a woman that obviously does not know her place and who should be in the shadows but Jesus sees repentance. You see the difference? And so how do we see people? How do we see people? There in that verse, in verse 44, he says, 
Do you see this woman? And there's two different Greek words that could be used there in the original language. The word horeo is to see generally. In other words, I can either horeo, I can see, or I cannot see, I'm blind. Okay? The other word is the word blepo, and it means to see specifically and to be able to be aware of something. And so where Jesus is asking, do you see this woman? Well, of course, in a physical way, he sees this woman, but he really doesn't see her, if you know what I mean. I mean, in Simon's mind, it's just unbelievable that Jesus would forgive this despicable woman who is a harlot, who is a streetwalker. In Simon's mind, this woman has absolutely no place at all in the kingdom of God, right? Now, as we think about ourselves as individual Christians and as we think about ourselves as the Lord's church, I think that we relate a whole lot more to Simon than this sinful woman. Don't you think? Because if you think about it, we are the religious people, of course, and we can be a little bit stuffy, <laughs> And we can be just a little bit full of ourselves sometimes. And we're all about commands. We're all about obeying the law. And that's great. But not so much about grace oftentimes. How many years has it taken us to even talk about grace in the church? I mean, for many, many years, we would not even touch the subject because we were so afraid that we would be tagged to be liberal or something because so many in the religious world talked about grace and that's all you need. And just because they twisted, as Peter talks about twisting the scriptures, just because they would twist the scriptures a little bit about grace, we didn't talk about grace at all. So I think that we can relate to Simon a whole lot more than this woman because we are the religious people. We are the stuffy people sometimes that are all about rules and regulations and laws but not so much about grace oftentimes. What about here? Been gone a long time. I don't know about this church, but what about here? What kind of church is this? This has always been a loving church. It's always been an accepting church. Are we still? I hope that we are. Which one of these do we relate to the most? Two, two different views here I want us to consider. Two different standpoints. You have Simon's view, listen to what I'm saying. Simon's view of righteousness causes him to distance himself from this woman. Think that he's better than her. Not want to have anything to do with her. But Jesus' view of forgiveness causes him to bring this woman in. Do you see that? Which view are we? Are we so concerned about being righteous and about being right, and that's very important, but are we so concerned about that that we are looking down our nose at people and so ready to condemn people? I'll tell you, church, Something I'm sick and tired of that I've seen in the church over my life over and over and over again. And it's one of the reasons why 
I believe that so many people want to walk away from the church of Christ. We are judgmental. We can be very judgmental. And what we will do oftentimes is we, we automatically assume the worst. For instance, if we're talking to someone about salvation, I realize there's a whole lot of false doctrine out there about salvation. I realize that. And that's part of the reason why, but we still don't need to fall into this. Because of all of that, if we're talking about salvation to someone, we automatically assume that person is lost, period. For instance, if we ask someone about the Lord, do you know the Lord? Well, yes, I do. We assume they don't know what they're talking about. They probably said the Lord's Prayer or something, and they're probably still lost. That might be the case, but you know what? That radiates from us. And they pick up on that. I've been on a lot of evangelistic campaigns where we go door knocking and we have Bible studies. And if you don't watch it, that just radiates. And let me tell you what, when you talk to someone about salvation and they say, yes, I know the Lord and I'm saved, and the very first thing you do is, uh, is ask them, okay, prove it basically. Maybe you don't say that word, but that's kind of what you mean. Well, that, that's a real turnoff. <laughs> you know what I say? I say, fantastic. You know what? I found that there's a whole lot of ways that people talk about being saved out there. And do you mind telling me your story about how you came to know the Lord? And what I found out is that people will tell you their story in a heartbeat. And if they have obeyed the gospel, then that's your brother or sister in Christ. And if by telling their story, you see that they have not obeyed the gospel, then you, you don't criticize them. You say, well, thank you so much for telling me that. I know that that means a whole lot to you. It's a little bit different than mine. Do you mind me sharing my story and my experience with you? And that opens, and I guarantee you, most of the time when someone has shared their, their salvation story with you, they'll let you share yours with them. And that's your opportunity to open up the Word of God. You don't go into it like, I'm saved, and I'm a, a member of the Church of Christ, and I know everything, and, and you're lost, and you know nothing. Because that's how we approach things so very often. I want to look at, at verse 50 here for just a moment. says, then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. We've talked a whole lot in the past about your faith has saved you, and that's good. I want to th think just a little bit about this go in peace. You see, Simon thinks that he's a whole lot better than this woman up to this point. But basically what Jesus is trying to, to tell him by, by talking about this story is that you're no better. In fact, just because you don't owe as much doesn't mean anything because guess what? You can't pay either. Is that not the point? You can't pay either. It doesn't matter if you owe a billion dollars or you owe $50. If you don't have it, you can't pay either. And guess what? Okay, none of us pay for our sin, for our salvation. Did y'all know that? None of us can. And so think about this. He says, go in peace. And I like this uh, religious author by the name of Fred Craddock. 
don't agree with everything that he says. I'm just going to preface it by saying that. But Fred Craddock uh, asked the question, trying to get us as individuals to think about how we relate to people, how we see people, and trying to get us as a church to see how we see other people. He asked the question, where is she to go? Jesus said, go in peace. And so his question is, where is she to go? And so here's a little something from his book. It says, he says, she needs a church, but not just any church. She needs a church of forgiven sinners, welcoming sinners in need of forgiveness. Amen. So what kind of church are we? Are we the kind of church where the righteous come to feel righteous? Or where sinners feel welcome? Y'all know what I'm talking about, where the righteous come to feel righteous? Nobody comes here and says, I am righteous. Look at me. You know what we do? And <laughs> I've seen it my whole life. What we do is we'll come to church and we like to, you ever talk to anybody that, that doesn't tell you something for information purposes, you can tell they're telling you something because they really want you to know something about them. Have y'all ever talked to somebody like that? Hadn't we all? And so we come here and, and we start talking about, uh, oh, so-and-so, you know, they're not feeling well, so I've taken some food over there. Oh, and I, then I visited so-and-so the other day. Uh, and I sent, oh, you know, I sent six cards last week to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And, -so -and, -so. and what are we doing? I'll tell you what we're doing. We're being self-righteous. That's what we're doing. You know, I talked to a, a guy the other day, and I, I was teaching a Bible class last Sunday, and one of the guys in the class, and, and I thank the world of them, but <laughs> he said, uh, he said we're, we're looking at the seven churches of Asia. And uh, he said, Mark, I know what the biggest problem in the church today is. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, it is false doctrine. And I said, well, I have to disagree with you. I have to completely disagree with you. I'll say one of the biggest problems in the religious world today is false doctrine, no doubt about that. But one of the biggest problems in the Lord's church today, in the church of Christ today, is Phariseeism. We think that we know it all and we think that we don't do anything wrong and we have a tendency of judging other people and looking down our nose at other people. I really do. I see that in so many different places. And I believe that that's one of the reasons why we're not growing. People see that. And so are we a place where we come to feel righteous? There's another guy that... <laughs> I think a lot of him as well, and, and I hope he doesn't mean it like this. But it seems like every time I talk to the guy, uh, he's, a, he's a preacher, or he's a retired preacher anyway. He's always, listen, we've only been to Tanner for about a year and three months, so that's not very long. And I guarantee you I've done heard this at least ten times. The man's always talking about how many people he's baptized. Always. And he'll talk about this, this one church. That, man, we got this church started and, and, and we baptized 50 people and on and on and on. Self-righteous. And I'm not judging him by saying that, but I've done heard that. 
Why am I telling somebody that I went to visit somebody? Why am I telling somebody that I took them some food or that, you know, that, that I saved somebody? Or somebody comes in and talks about jail or prison ministry and, and I baptized four people the other day. And we have some that talk about that all the time. And sometimes it's for information purposes and so we can rejoice and that's fantastic. But sometimes it's because we're self-righteous. And brethren... That's the Pharisaic problem, is it not? I've got this story. <laughs> I won't get into it very far, and you'll know that it's fiction, but I think this uh, has kind of got us to, to a T. This story is uh, about a man that was... Uh, Grew up in a small town, kind of like this, and so we can relate to this. I could relate to this when I first read it. So he grows up in a, in a small town. He goes to a small church, and one of the good things about that is he knows everybody. One of the bad things about that is he knows everybody, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And so he knew, you know, that one of the deacons uh, had gotten a girl pregnant in high school. He knew that one of the elders had a drug problem years ago. He knew that the preacher was a recovering alcoholic and all these different things. And so he just could not focus on worship. And he just struggled being there so much that, that he said, I'm just going to have to find another church. And so he did. And so he left and he found him another church. And everything was all fine and good there for about a year or so until he found out that the song leader used to be gay and that the preacher was, used to be anyway, a drug addict. And so he thought, I can't worship like this. And so once again, he goes somewhere else. Well, he keeps doing this. Does this sound familiar? Do we ever church hop? And so he keeps doing this until he's gone through pretty much all the churches in the city. And so then he decides, I guess I'm going to have to go to church somewhere out in the country. And so one Saturday, he gets up and he drives out in the country and he comes to this church uh, that is called Spiritual Heroes Church of Christ. And on the marquee, it says, all worship conducted by your spiritual heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. And he thought, hmm, that sounds interesting. I think I'll try that out. And so the next day he gets up and, and he drives out in the country, drives to this, this spiritual heroes church, and he comes in the door, and the very first person there to greet him is Rahab. And she introduces herself as Rahab. And he thought, wow, this is just like his advertised, you know. And so she gives him a, a visitor sticker. It says visitor across, a, across it and sticks it on right here. And he couldn't help but notice that she had a sticker on too. And it said, harlot. And so then he goes to a Bible class. And there in the Bible class, you have Abraham teaching. And Abraham's talking about the law. And he does a great job teaching the class. He's got this long beard and, and he captures everybody's attention and is very knowledgeable and does a wonderful job, but he really doesn't hear hardly anything because, after all, Abraham has a label on too. And it says, liar. After that, he comes in to, to worship and he notices, looking in the bulletin, that David is leading singing. And he thought, well, this will be interesting. You know, the sweet psalmist. And so he gets up there and David begins to lead singing and, and his voice is 
beautiful and he, he begins to lead songs from the book of Psalms and you know everybody joins in and begins to sing except for one because he noticed that David has on a little label too that says what? Says what? Yes, adulterer. So after this, he, he, he thought, well, how in the world am I supposed to worship like this? And he thought, well, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, but that was a long time ago. How am I, how am I supposed to worship with him wearing that label? After that, Moses gets up to do the sermon. And he delivers the sermon, and it's about a prophet that's going to come after him. And he does a wonderful job with that and, and, and just really moves the congregation, except for one because he is also wearing a sign. So the worship service is over. They invite the man back, come and see us again. And of course, he's very polite and says, thank you so much, it's been great being here. And yes, I'll come back, but he had no intention on coming back because he was thinking, how in the world can I worship with such a gathering of sinners? And so he gets in his car to leave and he's driving down the road and he notices he still has his tag on the visitor tag, and he, so he begins to pull at that, and it won't come off. And he pulls at it, and he pulls at it, and he can't get it off. And he looks down and he notices it doesn't say visitor anymore. Instead, it says judge. You know, as individuals and as the Lord's church, we can be very, very Pharisaic. And just like those stories I told you at first about getting the the end and the means to the end mixed up. We can be all about rules and regulations, and that's good to a point, but guess what? None of us keep them all the time. None of us do. None of us perfect. And we all are in need of grace, are we not? Each and every one of us. One more passage. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm saying concerning rules, regulations, the commands of God. That's very important. It's necessary. But we're known to be people that are more about that and not much about people. And we've got to be about both, right? We need to do the one without leaving the other undone, right? So notice what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What kind of church are we? What kind of Christian are we? Are we self-righteous? Are we full of ourselves? Do we look down our nose at others? Do we tend to think that our sin is not near as bad as somebody else's? We've been known to be a church that is very, very hard towards people that have committed certain sins and not so hard about people that have committed other sins that, in our opinion, is not near as bad. Is that right? I ask you, is that right? No, it's not. It's not. We need to have a forgiving spirit just like our Lord. Think about this account in Luke chapter 7. It blows my mind to think 
about how closely related this is to us in the church today. As these stuffy religious people are sitting there, so full of themselves, when this whole incident takes place, the woman falls down, washes Jesus' feet, and all this happens, she never, he never says a word to any body except for who? Simon, the religious people. He doesn't say one word to her in a derogatory way. He says what? Your faith has saved you. Think about that. How do we see other people? We need to strive to be a more loving and a more accepting church. Not accepting of sins, but accepting of sinful people. Right? Because none of us are perfect. And we all need the grace of God. And I'm thinking, you know, if, if Jesus Christ can forgive, then certainly I can. Have y'all ever met anybody that could not forgive? A particular sin when you can read about Jesus forgiving that sin in the word of God. We need to be forgiving. Right? Thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I appreciate it so very much. Appreciate the invite from, from David and, and from the elders. And uh, maybe they won't run me off. Maybe I'll get to come back. <laughs> Thank you.